We are on another blind date, and I got a diary full of thoughts for you this week as we are covering Wrestle War 1990, WCW Wrestle War 1990, that is, right here on Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. Thank you all so very much for hitting that download button and joining us this week. Brought that blind date diaries concept back to Kicking Out at Two. Last time we uh, covered the ECW's December to Dismember. From 2006, or should I say the WWECW, December to Dismember from 2006. Because it wasn't the original ECW, it was the sanitized WWE version, of course. And I told you that it was probably the worst wrestling pay-per-view I'd ever viewed, and I will never, ever watch it again. Um, safe to say, before you guys uh, you know, go further along down the, down the road with me on this download, that um, you know, th- this pay-per-view that we're going to be covering this week is not the worst pay-per-view in wrestling issue. In fact, this was a pretty damn good show, uh, you know, full disclosure. Um, I'll get into it a little bit more as time goes on, but um, I enjoyed watching this this week. And uh, you know, for those of you that um, that have not had the chance to uh, to watch this, go back on the WWE Network. Uh, you can find it under the WCW portion of the network, the pay per view section, the years 1990, and uh, yeah, you can go check it out. WCW Wrestle War 1990, um, and uh, you can you know compare notes. You can watch it and then listen to this, or you can go back and listen to this and then watch it later and see if I was right or wrong. But um, Nonetheless, um, what I am right about is the fact that we are having a blast on social media. That's right. I know it was a shitty segue, but I had no choice. Just had to do it. Um, and uh, you can be a part of all that fun that we're having over there on social media, as I like to say each and every week right here in this same familiar spot of the podcast uh, by heading on over to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. You can hit that like button if you haven't already. If you have hit the like button, tell a friend to hit the like button and be a part of all the fun we got going on over there on the Facebook page. Um, we got, you know, links to archive shows. I post the, you know, the shows every single Wednesday at noon on the Facebook page. Um, all kinds of pictures, debates and discussions, GIFs, um, articles, some good stuff over there. Retro pro wrestling fun at its finest over there. So like I said, hit that like button. If you haven't already, if you have tell as many people as you know, that love pro wrestling and love retro pro wrestling to hit the like button. Cause we we have a good time over there just reliving the glory days of wrestling my thoughts and memories growing up as a fan and trying to interject that to all of you through this podcast in a positive way without sounding like i know it all or i'm some fucking asshole on the internet that's got an opinion just like everyone else um so yeah, you can find all that stuff over there on our Facebook as well as our Twitter handle at Kicking Out Two K I C K N O U T and the number two. Still trying to build that following on Twitter. Um, you know, for some reason, you know the the you know my my aspirations of having our account and get that little blue check mark. Um, you know, it's it, it's a rough process, but you know we're getting there. Uh, so you know you can find links to archive shows over there, gifs and videos, and you know uh, not many discussions because not many people really like me on Twitter. Um, you know, or not many people talk to me on. Twitter, I should say. They, I don't think they have a reason not to like me, but nonetheless, um, we're over there on Twitter as well. Same kind of stuff we got on Facebook, but 140 characters or less. And of course, you can find this show and all the great shows of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network over on Podbean by searching Retromania with a W. Um, Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts, 
Spreaker, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, any podcast platform available. Search Retromania with a W, and you will find this show, all the backlog archives of Kicking Out of Two, as well as Hulkamania's Dead, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Origins of Attitude, all kinds of great bonus content. Marking out the Days Weekend Warriors Season 1. You can find all that stuff over there on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Late, rate, like it, review it, um, tell Kobe you know, what w- what he can do to make it better what he can do to 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 not make it worse uh you know he, he, he loves the feedback. Kobe's a, a, a man of the people, and he wants to give back to all other wrestling fans. And like I said, it's an evergreen podcast. You can listen to all the podcasts there anytime you want. Um, go back and start from beginning to end and, you know, just talk about wrestling and, and the, the glory days of wrestling. You know, Kobe's got some pretty cool stuff over there, and I'm glad to be a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. So, uh, yeah, go find it over there. All right. Uh, almost out of breath. But not totally because I've been doing that DDP yoga lately that's been really helping me out. But anyhow, um, this show I picked in particular to cover because I've never watched it before. Um, never seen a single match from this show. Uh, I've watched, you know, a lot of wrestling over the years. But, you know, for those of you that are new to the Blind Date Diary concept, we um, we take an event that I've never watched before. And I will go back and I will watch it from start to finish. And then I'll give you my recap, my diary, if you will, of this blind date, this first time occurrence between me and this program that I'm watching. So we've been doing some paper views i might mix it up i might do a match that i've never watched before maybe an episode of a nitro or a raw or, or even some old stuff like world class or awa stuff like that so i'm trying to expand a little bit on the concept um, but i'm also trying to stay within my my time frame uh, of my wrestling fandom when i was alive uh, but you know it could be interesting if i go back and watch something i've never seen before when i wasn't alive to to witness it um so yeah we're, we're going to kind of expand the concept a little bit as time goes on but this Blind Date Diary covers Wrestle War 1990. This was probably right when I was really becoming more consistent with watching WCW. I would say like 80. This is like the first couple of years when like WCW was in existence. And it kind of blew up for me when I got the action figures, the Galoob action figures. Um with like Sting and Ric Flair and Lex Luger and Brian Piltman and all those names. Um so yeah, um this is probably the 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 beginning stages of my WCW, my WCW fandom here. Um, and so that's, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to watch this show because there was some stuff that I remember watching as a kid and I was intrigued by it, but I never really got to see how it was followed up. So, um, this show kind of ties some loose ends for me just a little bit here. So, uh, uh, you know, full disclosure, I just watched it recently. And like I said, I thought this was overall a good show. So uh, hopefully you guys liked it, too. If you watched it or if you're going to watch it, I recommend it. I think this was a pretty fun, uh, f- fun show to watch. And uh, without further ado, let me get into it. Let me let, let me break it down for you here with this blind date diary, if you will. Um, Wrestle War 1990 took place on February the 25th uh, from Greensboro, North Carolina, with 7,894 people in attendance at the Greensboro Coliseum, the home of uh, the very first Starcade and a few other Starcades too. Um, so Greensboro, big wrestling town. Uh, they came out for this one. Um, we're going to be approaching the 30th anniversary of this next week. So, uh, you know, this is a, a, a this is a, a pretty fun time to, uh, to to go back and reminisce on something that like I had never seen before just up until recently. Um 
going into this event, upon doing my research as I was watching this, um, Ric Flair, and this is also something that I remember too as well. Ric Flair was originally scheduled to face Sting for the championship. However, that match would not take place on this card because Sting was injured. He injured his knee um, during a little pull-apart brawl at a Clash of Champions a couple weeks prior, the Texas shootout. And it would be announced not too long after that that Lex Luger would be replacing him in the championship match. Now, on this card, Luger was originally set to defend the WCW United States Championship against Dr. Death Steve Williams, but obviously with Luger's involvement in this match with Flair, his association with Sting, his friends, the, the, the match with Dr. Death obviously would not happen, and it was dropped immediately. Um, so, as I, as I clicked play to watch this, um, I was treated to a very shitty rap performance of the uh, from from various WCW stars, and they showed clips highlighting um, the, the you know who the guys are going to be on the show while they're doing the wild thing. So, without further ado, just so you have a better idea of what I had to endure, allow me to give you let me to indulge you if you will with the wcw wrestle war 1990 rap and the wild thing Holy shit, that sucked, right? Yeah, tell me about it. Um, I promise you that the rest of this show uh, was not as bad as the Wrestle War rap. Uh, and I could promise you that we all did not do the wild thing. Um, <laughs> wow. Whoever thought of that idea? I mean, I know rap music and hip hop was really starting to get popular around that time time period and so like i guess they wanted to kind of jump on that bandwagon but my goodness did they ask some guy and you know some intern at the at, at turner home entertainment or the cnn tower to to perform this rap this sounds like a drunk guy did karaoke like this that's what it really sounded like um but uh, that's probably the worst part of this entire show was the opening here with this uh, this this shitty rap performance and doing the wild thing um <clears throat> Jim Ross welcomes us to the show and he introduces Terry Funk as his color commentator. Uh, JR points out that Teddy Long has informed WCW that dangerous Dan Spivey is hurt and he will not be a part of the street fight as a member of the skyscrapers with mean Mark Callis against the road warriors. Um, and there's going to be more talk about that later. Uh, and then we get uh, Funk and uh, JR giving their predictions on some of the championship matches that include Tom Zink, the Z-Man, and Brian Pillman against the Freebirds for the United States Tag Team titles, the Andersons against the Steiners for the World Tag Team titles, and Ric Flair and Lex Luger in the main event for the World Heavyweight Championship. We get pitched back to Gordon Soley, who is with Teddy Long, who informs us that Spivey is injured and he has hired another wrestler to take Dan Spivey's place. He's also got another big surprise that he's not going to disclose with us until later. And Soley questions some of the the, the statements behind uh, Teddy Long, um, Teddy Long's speech there, whether they're true or not. Um, 
a little interesting uh, interview to really uh, set the wheels in motion for the uh, the street fight. Uh, you know, it was highly anticipated, I would imagine, between the Road Warriors and the Skyscrapers. Now one of the Skyscrapers is out, and so therefore they kind of got to add some interest to it. So making this a focal point um, at the beginning of the show I thought was uh, very important. Um, and the opening match of this card saw Kevin Sullivan and Buzz Sawyer take on the dynamic dudes, Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace. Um Dudes get a mixed reaction here. Uh, there's no skateboard entrance down the ramp, but um, you know, the crowd's kind of split on them. I'd say maybe 50-50. Um, <clears throat> their high-flying offense, uh, you know, to start the match, um, it gets the best of uh, the heels. Uh, you get a lot of quick tags, some double-team moves. Crowd gets slightly behind them. I'd say about 60-40. Um, then you see some signs of uh, dissension with Sullivan and uh, Buzz Sawyer um, as they trade slaps to the face with each other, which I thought was interesting. Crowd popped big for that. Um, JR mentioned on commentary that Sullivan was somewhat of a mentor for Buzz Sawyer and he was trying to whip him into shape. Um, eventually the heels do get by, back on track. Um, Sullivan will toss Shane Douglas out to the floor, uh, which would then get the referee to distract Johnny Ace, getting him involved, and, and Sawyer suplex Shane to the floor on the ringside. That got a pretty big uh, pop from the crowd, um, despite the fact that they were heels. Uh, and they continue to gain the upper hand. They, for the most part, isolated Douglas in his corner. Um, got a lot of quick pin attempts and some tagging in and out. Um, the, the story here, they kind of just, like I said, isolated Douglas, worked on his back a lot, backbreaker, bear hug slowing down the pace of the match um you saw multiple attempts from the baby faces at fighting back but the heels eventually would gain the advantage with some more shots to the injured back um this was interesting they threw du <laughs> this is a sign of the times and this was kind of this kind of caught me off guard a little bit i had to rewind it and go back and listen um, but douglas gets tossed to the outside and ross on commentary goes the wrestler has a 10 count to get back in the ring if they have not been molested so to speak <laughs> I like I said I had to go back and I had to listen to it because I was like wait a minute did Jim Ross just fucking say that um which you know for those of you that listen I'm a big Conrad Thompson <clears throat> excuse me podcast listener and he does a show with JR called Grill and JR. And, uh, you know, I think it's a generational thing. I don't think there's any harm meant by the comments, but sometimes JR will show his age with certain terms and, and certain phrases that you don't really use anymore. Um, and can be deemed offensive to, to some people. And, uh, there was a recent podcast, JR, um, what JR hosted with Conrad and they were talking about the, um, the, the, the issues between AEW and WWE and how NXT kind of, you know, is in the Wednesday slot and they go head to head with AEW and et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, Jr. said that, um, he goes, he said something to him. I'm paraphrasing. He said, but you know, let's be honest here. The old man referring to Vince, um, you know, wouldn't have put NXT to go head to head with AEW if he didn't think that AEW was attempting to retard his momentum <laughs> and, or no, excuse me. He said, he said he put NXT head to head with AEW to retard AEW's momentum, which is another way of, of, of saying slowing down. Um, now within the context, I get what he was saying, but a lot of people could scratch their head and be like, Jesus, JR. Cause that word is 
for most people, used in a derogatory manner towards people with disabilities. It's it's the equivalent of using the N-word to an African-American person. So if you use the R-word to someone who is disabled mentally um, with special needs, it's considered you know offensive, which I 100% agree with. So dig myself out of the weeds here just a little bit. I just was kind of I, I thought it was a little funny that Jr. used the term molested on Shane Douglas, and he's got a history of using words and kind of showing his age. No disrespect to Jr. I'm sure, if, and I know Jim Ross doesn't listen to this podcast, but you know he people can be very critical of his work, and I don't want to be disrespectful or intend to be disrespectful in any way, shape, or form because you know Jr. loves to go on his rants when uh, someone critiques his work on Twitter. Um, so I'm not critiquing his work, but it just he shows his age. So I just thought it was interesting and it just kind of reminded me of the the story about the podcast. But anyhow, long story short. Um, Johnny Ace gets the hot tag and fails to capitalize, missing a head scissors, and Sawyer delivered a top rope splash for the win at 10 minutes and 15 seconds. Um, I must say it was a solid opener to start. Uh, the crowd seemed pretty into it for the first match. Um, th- I, I was interested by the dynamic between Sullivan and Sawyer with the whole slapping each other and the the, the, the mentor kind of you know roughing up the student a little bit. Um, you know, Sullivan Sawyer really got the lion's share of the, 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 the shine for the team. This was really designed to, to really put over Buzz Sawyer uh, because Kevin Sullivan, Kevin Sullivan, I say Sullivan like it's television. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's easy to say. Kevin Sullivan uh, was pretty well established um, for the for the organization at the time. So, you know, Buzz Sawyer, who, you know, was a, a journeyman wrestler in the territory system. I'm not sure if he was well known to a broader audience, especially that time in WCW. So um, this was really designed to make Buzz Sawyer look good, and I think they did a good job with it. Um, We cut to Missy Hyatt in the backstage area, who is with Norman the Lunatic. Uh, she She wishes him luck. And Norman responds by saying she reminds him of his sister. <laughs> She's a lot bigger and kind of pretty. <laughs> <laughs> that was I don't know you, you gotta watch it now, I, I know I'm humoring myself laughing but you gotta watch it and go back um, to to this show just the, the delivery and the way he delivered the line he was like she's a lot bigger and kind of pretty like <laughs> it was almost like a backhanded compliment um, he asks her for a hug and for good luck and she obliges then he asks for a kiss and she gives him a kiss on the cheek and then he asks for another one and she she, she Missy was Missy was out of time as Tony Schiavone would say and she uh, she thinks she heard the bell ring um I thought this was a, a, a an interesting uh, little setup here. You know, Norman's wacky personality. You know, being a a it's almost like a Beauty and the Beast type of vibe. You know, with Missy Hyatt being the hot girl and Norman being this like beastly looking guy. Um, I thought it was an interesting dynamic between the two. It was humorous. I I, I kind of dug it. Um, next match here we get Cactus Jack Manson going one on one with Norman the Lunatic. Um, Hot start to the match. Jack, you know, kind of goes to town on Norman uh, as the bell rings. Um, another, <laughs> another <laughs> instance in commentary where, you know, this was a different time. This was 30 years ago, so you know, um, this was much. Like I said, it was a much different time. But Jr. on commentary wonders if Cactus Jack has a degree in special education, or maybe he was the guinea pig. <laughs> 
man, I was just like floored by some of the things he was saying on this show. And this was another one here where, um, Definitely a different time and a comment that doesn't age well. I found some humor in it, but I, I think I found it more humorous because I'm going back watching this 30 years later and hearing these things. And it, like I said, it doesn't age well. And I think that's where I find the humor in it. It's the fact I'm watching it 30 years later. Um, Nothing flashy here with this match. This match wasn't pretty. Uh, there was, you know, some basic moves. You got a little bit of brawling on the outside, but it was quickly brought back to the ring. Um, Norman would surprisingly get the control early on on Cactus. Um, and, you know, Cactus eventually would get the upper hand with a, a lot of simple striking and rest holds. Um the finish comes when Cactus goes for a pile driver, but Norman reverses it and then sits on Cactus to get the win out of nowhere at 9 minutes and 33 seconds. Like I said, this match, nothing flashy, nothing to write home about, but it wasn't terrible either for the two guys that were involved. Um, I've heard a lot of stories about, you know... Um, you know, the guy who played Norman the Lunatic, uh, Mike Shaw, he was once Bastion Booger in the WWF. Um, he played uh, Friar Ferguson. It was like a short-lived monk character in the WWF in the 90s when Vince was throwing everything at the wall and seeing if it was going to stick. Um, he had a big run in Calgary um, for the Stampede promotion as Makan Singh. Um, that's where he really, uh, you know, broke his bones in the business so to speak um and i've heard stories of how great of a worker he was for a big guy and uh this was probably the first norman the lunatic match i remember watching um between him and cactus um ever so um yeah this was, it was this wasn't bad at all I, I i enjoyed this match even though it was basic it was still it was what it was it wasn't anything over the top flashy but it didn't need to be um we go back to gordon Soley, who's with jim Cornette in the midnight express and Cornette, um you know does his usual hyping up the match against the Rock and Roll Express coming up. Um, he says something's never changed. The Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express is still the greatest tag team rivalry in wrestling history. He goes, something's also never changed. The Midnights still hate the Rock and Roll Express. The Midnights are still better than them, and they will beat them because today is the day the music dies. That's according to Stan Lane. Uh, interesting little, you know, uh, 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 comment there at the end, but... Uh, um, you know, I guess it was a, a music reference, so to speak. Um, but yeah, uh, it wasn't an over the top promo, but it was, it was good enough to get you into the match, um, which leads us to this match, the midnight express and the rock and roll express. And honestly, what's not to like about this match? Um, these two guys, these two teams could never have a bad match, whether it was Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry or Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. This version was Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. Um, Early on in the match, the referee, Nick Patrick, um, had, a, had a, a, a fun exchange with Jim Cornette. Cornette got on the ring apron and challenged him to a fight and, you know, took his coat off. And the crowd started getting into it. And then Nick Patrick untucked his referee shirt and put his fists up like he was ready to fight. Got a huge pop. Um, crowd was super into it. Um, Cornette would eventually, you know, tuck his tail between his legs is what a good heel manager would do. And uh, we would get on with the match uh, as the Rock and Roll Express would be in control early on, um, flustering the Midnights with a series of double team moves, drop kicks, clotheslines, um, hip tosses, uh, even causing some tension between the two. At one point, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane are on the floor, and I think Stan Lane shoved Eaton to the ground. So it was another situation where a heel tag team uh, w was having some issues with each other because they were flustered by the baby faces. Um, the crowd was just eating that up too. Um, Southern crowd, North Carolina, 
familiar with the Midnights, familiar with the Rock and Roll Express, familiar with that rivalry. So, um, you know, I, I, from what it came across, like watching it, um, you know, it, it wasn't hard to get into the match you know, very early on. Um, and it was just basic stuff that the, that, that these guys were doing to get the crowd riled up. And sometimes the most basic stuff works. Um, and like I said, Cornet, he, you know, crowds eating up. Cornet is all over this match, getting a ton of heat. They're dumping a ton of heat um, on him with all the, you know, the heel tactics he's doing, hitting Ricky Morton on the outside with a tennis racket and jumping on the ring apron, jaw jacking with the people in the front row. I mean, you know, some you can make an argument that Jim Cornet probably was taken away from the match, but at the same time, you know, he added to the match with his antics on the outside. Um, the Midnights would gain control early on, uh, you know, putting the beat into Ricky Morton, which, you know, that never fails. That was formulaic when it came to Rock and Roll Express matches, no matter who they faced. It was always put the heat on Ricky Morton, always put the heat on Ricky Morton so you can have Ricky make the hot tag to Robert Gibson. And it, it never failed each and every time, no matter who they were, with, whether it was the Andersons, whether it was the Midnights, whether it was the Russians, you know, Cole, uh, Ivan and Nikita Koloff, it didn't matter who you put them in there with. You always put the heat on Ricky Morton, and he always went to go make the hot tag for Robert, and the place would explode. Um, a lot of isolating him in the corner, quick tags by the Midnights. Like I said, Cornette got a couple of cheap shots in while the referee's distracted. Um, more double team maneuvers that picked apart Orton, uh, Rand, uh, Ricky Morton, excuse me, not Randy Orton. Um, Got a lot of several attempts at tags from Ricky to Robert, but failed um, until uh, the Midnights missed a rocket launcher leading to the hot tag for Robert Gibson. Um, he cleared house for a bit until all four men would get back in the ring. Um, ref couldn't seem to keep it under control, and then Cornette nailed Gibson with the tennis racket, and then Gibson kicks out and then rolls up Eaton for the win. Yeah, yeah, Gibson. I'm sorry. Let me let me go back to here in my notes. Um, Cornette nailed Gibson with the with the tennis racket, and then Gibson would get pinned. He would kick out, and then he would roll up Bobby Eaton for the win at 19 minutes and 31 seconds. Um, overall, I thought this was a fun match. Um, it kind of went. It kind of blew by, to be quite honest with you. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was kind of surprised. The finish seemed very anticlimactic and almost in a way it was rushed um i felt like with the hot tag and then the quick exchange with the with the tennis racket by cornet to um <clears throat> to robert gibson and then the quick roll up for the win i just thought it was i, I thought they were rushing it uh, but i thought it was a great match it's not one of their best okay you can go back and you can watch stuff from their days in mid-south and their days you know early days of jim crockett promotions and other territories memphis or wherever um but the rock and roll express midnight express match here was a pretty damn good match it wasn't their best but it was pretty damn good like i said the only thing i could fault was the finish just felt it was rushed um we go backstage and the road warriors are with paul ellering uh and gordon Soli. they talk about their plans to destroy the skyscrapers in a chicago street fight both guys wearing their street clothes not wearing the um not wearing the uh the the, the shoulder pads and their tights their standards still got their face painted uh it's the, the the come as you are street fight as they face these skyscrapers um the now like i said earlier dan spivey he's out He's no longer a part of the equation here, so they replaced him with the masked skyscraper, who was played by Mike Enos. Uh, for those of you who know 
who don't know who Mike Enos is, Mike Enos played one of the Beverly Brothers in the WWF in the 90s. He was also a part of the Destruction Crew for AWA. And upon doing my research, he was still one half of the AWA Tag Team Champions at this time, um, which I thought was rather, I thought was pretty interesting. I wonder if WCW had like a working agreement with um, AWA, because I think this was like the tail end of when AWA I think this was right around the time when AWA was folding. Um, so I don't know if they had a working agreement or Vern was just allowing the guys to go get some work wherever they could. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was this was interesting that he, he played the, the masked skyscraper, and he was much shorter, obviously, than Dan Spivey. Good build, you know, short, stocky guy, but he to me, he just didn't look like a skyscraper. Um yeah, the Road Warriors appear. Road Warriors make their entrance. They appear on stage, um, and then they uh, they 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 jump on the back of a couple of motorcycles and ride down the ramp. So the Road Warriors are riding bitch. Um, now here's a common theme you'll see throughout the pay per view. They're wearing headbands on their arms that have Sting's logo on them because Sting was injured and he wasn't able to, to face Ric Flair. Um, so you'll see that throughout the course of the night with some baby faces. Norman the Lunatic had one on during his match. Uh, I know Pillman and Z-Man will have them on their match. I think Luger wore one to the ring. So. Um, yeah, um, but this is, like I said, a come-as-you-are come street fight uh, between the skyscrapers and the road warriors. And before the bell rings, Paul Ellering gets on the microphone. And he challenges Teddy Long to join the fight since he's dressed like he's going to fight. Now, Long had, like, jeans and a T-shirt, and I believe he had, like, the boxing headgear, like the sparring headgear. Um, and, he looked, and he taped his fist. He looked like he was ready to go. Um and and he got in the ring and he mixed it up with Ellering. They 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 start things off and uh, Ellering nailed Teddy Long with the right hand and Long powdered out and that's basically the the extent of the manager's involvement. You know, in the match as both teams mix it up to officially kick things off um, in this match. Lots of brawling. It's a come as you are street fight. Referee's just there to just make the decision uh, whether it's a pinfall or a submission. Um, and that 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 surprise that Teddy Long was talking about happened to show up during this match in the form of Doom, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, uh, dressed in tuxedos as they um, come to ringside to assist Teddy Long as they're watching this match unfold. Um, Nothing pretty here about this match. Um, zero scientific wrestling <laughs> on display. A lot of slams, kicks, chokes, strikes. Um, <clears throat> Road Warrior. The Road Warriors managed to dump Mean Mark Callis, Undertaker, aka, over the top rope of the clothesline, and. Uh, as he hits the floor, he gets up and he leaves the ringside area. He's like, "I'm done with this," and he's out. So he left. Um, the mass skyscraper to eat the doomsday device from the road warriors and the win and the finish comes at four minutes and 59 seconds. Um, post-match sees Teddy long getting pulled into the ring and, and by the road warriors who then throw him to the outside and doom catches him her standing outside. And then we see doom entering the ring. They face off with the road warriors. Uh, they start taking their tuxedo jackets off and the crowd seems pretty into it. They want to see this. Um, they both brawl for a bit, um, and uh, eventually they would retreat with Teddy Long um, after, you know, referees come down and attempt to pull it apart. Um, 
short match here was what it was. Nothing spectacular. I couldn't picture it going much longer. Um, to be quite honest with you, hindsight being 2020, I was kind of hoping that they replaced Doom or replaced uh, you know, the, the, the skyscrapers with Doom and made that the, uh, the 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 Chicago street fight match. Since Doom came out in their tuxedos, the Road Warriors were out in their jeans and their cowboy boots. But I get it if they didn't want to hot shot the match. Uh, save it for a later date. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, go back to Jim Ross and Terry Funk, who preview the remainder of the card with the United States Tag Team titles, the World Tag Team titles, and the World Heavyweight Championship on the line. Um, goddamn Terry Funk almost had a heart attack, uh, cutting a promo claiming that the NWA was the best wrestling on the planet. Um, really passionate about, you know, the, the, the overall product in and of itself. Uh, we cut back to a replay showing the street fight and the brawl with Doom. And then Funk gives his prediction that Ric Flair is going to retain the World Heavyweight Championship over Lex Luger in this match. Um, the next match coming up, the United States Tag Team titles, the Fabulous Freebirds, Michael P.S. Hayes and Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, or Jimmy Jim Garvin. Take on Flying Brian Pillman and the Z-Man, Tom Zink. Um, like I said, baby faces come out sporting the sting headbands. Uh, I noticed that during both entrances, the female fans, uh, which weren't many in the audience, really overpowered the males when it came to their uh, their their liking for both teams. Um I thought it was interesting that the Freebirds got a somewhat of a baby face pop and the, the Pillman and Zinc, their their pop wasn't stronger, but you know, both both teams seemed to be of interest of the of the female contingent in the audience. So that was interesting. Um this is a fun spot here in the beginning. The Freebirds, they had these ring girls uh, stand behind them, and he was allow they were allowing them to disrobe them, um, and you know behind their backs, and they're kind of you know mucking it up with the crowd. And all of a sudden, Pillman and Z-Man um, move the girls out of the way. They disrobe them, and then they go on the attack, and this match kicks off um, with the baby faces getting the upper hand early on. Um, they end up putting the robes on, and they imitate the, the Freebird walk and the strut, and then they eventually play the Freebird music while Pillman and Zink are kind of posing with the robes. I thought that was interesting. Um, cutting to the music and kind of mocking them, and the Freebirds, you know, being the heels are on the floor. They're, they're pissed off. They're upset. They... they they, you know, they, they don't like that they just got embarrassed. Um, I will say this match here, I expected it to be much more exciting, and I felt like it was too slow. Um, at this, by this point in the card, this was the longest match on the show um, by this point in time. Uh, the main event would go a little longer, but this match went 24 minutes and 32 seconds. Um, the crowd kind of seemed... I don't know. I felt like watching it. They didn't seem too into it, but they were like hardly into it. Um, you know, you you got the you know the, the the baby faces exhibiting a mixture of styles with high flying, but then they also went to the ground and had a you know they used their ground game uh, to control the birds. Um, then the birds would try to slow them down with sleeper holds and rest holds, a lot of strikes and double team maneuvers. Like I said, a slower match than I expected. Um, I felt like as time went on, like I said, they were just hardly hanging on. They didn't seem really into this match. Um, the finish comes when all four are in the ring and the ref just can't control it as usual. Seems to be a theme here. Um, Hayes goes for the, goes to grab the tag belt to nail Pillman, but the referee sees it, disposes of the title, and while he's doing that, Garvin throws Pillman into the cameraman. Um, 
Then he manages to get a hold of Tom Zink while the referee is distracted with Michael Hayes. Pillman climbs up to the top after recovering from the shot with the cameraman and hits a crossbody onto Garvin for the win. Uh, Post-match, we see the birds beat down the baby faces briefly and then powder out as the baby faces would make a comeback. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, longest match of the card so far. I had higher expectations for it. I expected a faster-paced match. It wasn't a bad match, but I felt like it dragged at, 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 at points. And you could have probably shaved off, I would say, about seven or eight minutes of this match, and I would have been perfectly fine with it. Maybe even added some time to the midnight rock and roll match. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't the, wasn't the best match out or the best outing between these two um our next match another tag team match as we would see this is the fourth tag team match on the card we would see the steiner brothers taking on Ole and arn anderson for the world tag team titles rick steiner comes out wearing a sign that says sting's revenge across his neck um more of the baby faces showing support for sting who was unable to compete in the main event um this was a little wonky early on you know, it felt like these guys had a hard time getting a groove, uh, getting used to each other, getting a good feel of each other. Um, I, you know, on paper, when I when I looked at the card and I was like, oh, Steiner's against the Andersons. This should be good. Um, but, yeah, it just it there was something off about it. Um, you saw a lot of their power moves, you know, the Steiners with the suplexes and the belly to bellies. Um on the Andersons, um, the heels, you know, would be unable to mount the offense early on. Um, another situation where the referee can't seem to control it, nor does he want to from what it looked like. At that point, I think the referee just said, fuck it, let's let these guys do whatever they want. Um, the Andersons would eventually go back to their, you know, their routine, trying to pick apart a body and, and work on the Steiners for a little bit, slow things down. Um, standard psychology from them. But like I said, things just seemed to be off. They didn't really have a groove. Um, Arn was taking the lion's share of the bumps. Um, if Ole was involved, it was in little spurts. Um, I'm not sure if he was injured or if this was towards like the end of his in-ring career where he would just like he had had enough. Um you know, upon doing my research, uh, the this was around the time period where he was transitioning to become one of the bookers uh, for WCW. Um, so maybe this was a situation where, like, he was just he, he was kind of done with it. Um, yeah, this match just doesn't really seem to pick up at all. You go back and watch it. Um, there was a fair amount of stalling. There just didn't seem to be psychology between these two teams. Um, not the best outing, and I like maybe it's partially due to Ole's status. I don't know. Um, Arn, like I said, spent the majority of the time um, in the match, and he always seemed to work well with the Steiners in other in, in other uh, matches, especially the matches that him and Bobby Eaton would have as part of the Dangerous Alliance a couple years later against the Steiners. Um, I don't know if this was lack of communication between these two teams, but um, yeah, it just wasn't their best outing. Like I said, chemistry wasn't there. Um, it wasn't there for me as a fan. I had expectations that, well, this is the Andersons and the Steiners, but it just didn't it didn't work out. And I think, you know, we saw, you know, Ole's ability, and it was limited um, in this match. And, yeah, I, I just didn't, uh, didn't do it for me. It's almost like they tried to recreate the magic of the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, but it just didn't translate uh, this time around. Um, the finish comes when Rick Steiner 
gives an inside cradle to Ole Anderson for the victory um, at 16 minutes and five seconds. Um, post-match, you see the Andersons attack Scott Steiner and working on his arm. Another post-match attack by the tag teams, um, the heel tag teams losing to the baby faces. Interesting. Another running theme. Um, yeah, not the best. Um, we got Golden, Gordon Soley. I saw, I'll call him Golden Soley. Gordon Soley. I'm having trouble talking here today. I apologize. Interviewing Lex Luger. Um, Luger, Luger says that he's got a big case of the butterflies, which means he's ready. It's good for him, but it's bad for Flair. Um, Luger emphasized his power slam in the rack, and that's what's going to be the results in his victory over Ric Flair. Uh, we then come back to Jim Ross and Terry Funk as they preview the main event. Funk once again predicts that Ric Flair is going to retain. He puts over the athletic presentation we will be seeing from the NWA championship match, um, which to me sounded like he was trying to send a message to some of the folks up north. Um, on the commentary I don't know he really really was like you know kind of driving that point home that you get the best quality wrestling with the National Wrestling Alliance um, so I thought that was uh, interesting uh, then we go back to Gordon Soley who's with Ric Flair and woman Soley tells Flair that the wrestling critics are predicting his title loss this evening and Flair responds back by saying that when you've been at the top for 10 years on six different occasions as the world champion the only opinion you worry about is your own woman tells Luger you better start your engines and Flair reminds Luger to gear up because he's coming his way um not the best promo from Ric Flair. Obviously, you know, Ric Flair being a master on the mic, this just wasn't, you know, he didn't have a good day at the office, I guess you could say, on the microphone. Just seemed very bland and vanilla. All right, main event time. We got Gary Michael Capetta introducing Sting as tonight's special observer. Puts over Sting as the most popular star in the NWA, highlighting his electricity and charisma. As Sting makes his way out to an enormous pop um, with, the, with the help of some crutches. Um... Luger enters and uh, Sting will make his way back to the to the the dressing room which I thought was strange because he was an observer as far as I knew so I thought he was going to be outside the whole match um but Luger comes out to a big pop Flair gets a pretty decent sized pop for being a heel considering it's North Carolina um uh, what I liked about the beginning of this was that the camera got in close to listen to Nick Patrick's instructions to both competitors. It was a very nice touch adding that to the match. It kind of gives it a major big fight feel, even though I, it's, a, it's a cliche that's been overused. Um, very pro sports like. I, I dig stuff like that. I, you know, little things for me work. Um, you get the jaw jacking from both guys as the instructions have ended right before they ring the bell. You know, Flair telling Luger, you better be ready. Um, pretty, some pretty good stuff. Um, <clears throat> the commentary by Jim Ross and Terry Funk references their, their the last time they met on pay-per-view was at Starcade 88 and how close to Luger was to winning the championship. I thought that was, uh, was, was some pretty good stuff. Good continuation of their rivalry, the continuity there, reminding us that, you know, that Luger came close before, that, you know, maybe, maybe he's going to get over the hump and finally beat Ric Flair. Um, uh, early on, I mean, throughout the whole match, they were pretty much behind Luger. Testament to Flair and his work as a heel. Um, Luger's offensive uh, display with the power moves and Flair bumping his ass off to make him look like a freaking monster threat early on. That was that was pretty fun to watch. Uh, great chemistry between these two. They've always worked well together. Uh, for a match that was thrown together at the last minute, I felt like the buildup was top-notch. Uh, made me feel just as important 
made it feel just as important um, as the advertised bout with Sting. Um, and this is going back, you know, watching this 30 years later. Think about that. Um, it's a testament to the performers and their standing with the audience that the crowd just seemed really into it. But then again, you could make an argument that it's North Carolina, it's Greensboro, they're a big wrestling town. Uh, Southern wrestling fans are very loyal to the product. Not that all different regions of wrestling fans aren't loyal, but Southern wrestling fans, I feel like um, they they have more of an appreciation for it. Um, and so uh, that, to me, I felt was a, was crucial in this match because considering the circumstances and considering this was thrown together, if that crowd wasn't into it, this match was going to get over like a fart in church, as they would say. Um, Flair used every trick in the book to wear down Luger. Leverage on the ropes and rest holds. Woman interfering while the referee gets distracted by Flair. The crowd was pretty much eating that up, uh, dumping all that heat on Flair. Um Luger would make some comebacks with some power moves from time to time, only to only to be stopped by Flair. Um, then Luger would work on Flair's leg as a means of revenge for his fallen friend, which they kind of brought up. Luger slammed Flair's knee into the ring post and uh, worked on that for a little bit. I, I thought that was interesting, the irony in that storytelling with the knee, that it was Sting's knee that caused him to lose the opportunity at the title, and Luger remembered that. Um but then Flair would also remember, you know, to work on Luger's leg and soften him up for the figure four. Um, <clears throat> it seemed like in this match, no matter how long Flair had the advantage, Luger managed to make that comeback, which I thought was cool. I like the back and forth stuff. Um, you didn't really have a, a, a decisive aggressor in the match. Uh, Flair would eventually slap the figure four on as Sting made his way back to the ringside area to observe. Um this is a pretty cool moment. The camera caught Sting attempting to motivate Luger. Luger's, Luger's uh, throat was hanging over the middle rope, um, and Flair was distracted with the referee, and Sting grabbed Luger by the face, and he's like, come on, kick his butt. And there was a real close-up, and the crowd was kind of getting into it. Um, Luger would then make that comeback, no selling Flair's chops, which is always a cool spot. Flair realizing that it's not going to work this time, and he gets all upset and worried, and he doesn't know what to do. Um, eventually, we'd see a series of power moves and some press slams and power, power slams and clotheslines from Luger to Flair. Um, got a, got some several near falls. Crowd, crowd at one point thought Luger won the title on one of those occasions. Um L woman would get involved eventually slapping luger as flair would nail him from behind which would then bump the referee in the process which resulted in the horseman coming out and eating some clotheslines from lex uh the finish comes when flair's in the rack the torture rack and the andersons jump sting from behind causing luger to release the rack because he doesn't want sting to get hurt any further and going outside to attack them the referee would eventually count luger out and flair would get the win via a count out at 38 minutes and eight seconds post-match would see the horseman jump on luger until the steiners run out and make the save um this was a like I said, this was a fantastic match. I'd go out of your way to watch. If you're gonna watch any match on this show, I'd watch the whole show personally. But um, if I were you, I'd watch the whole show personally. But if you're gonna watch a match, go watch Ric Flair, Lex Luger, uh, from this pay per view. This was a really fun match. I really enjoyed it. I got caught up in it. Um, I, I enjoyed the hell out of this match. Um, 
The show would end with Jim Ross and Terry Funk recapping the finish, and they sign us off reminding that the next pay-per-view is Armed and Dangerous from Washington, D.C. on May the 19th, which would eventually be renamed Capital Combat, guest-starring RoboCop, which might be a future Blind Date Diary coming up <laughs> later this year on Kicking Out It 2. Uh, my overall thoughts... Man, this was a fun show to watch for the very first time. Um, I really didn't find like a bad match on this show. Um, there were some slow points to the show, but nothing that really brings it down. Uh, this definitely gets a this this definitely gets a second second look for me. This was a good blind date. It really was uh, for something I'd never seen before. I I liked it. Um, if there was like I said, nothing too crazy that brought it down but like the rock and roll midnight finish i felt was rushed um the Freebirds tag match was a little too slow and i would have preferred doom in place of the skyscrapers but other than that like the show was really good i i enjoyed it i had a lot of fun watching it and uh you know if you guys haven't watched it yet or if you've watched it you want to watch it again you can find it on wwe network wrestle war 1990 february the 25th from greensboro north carolina and uh yeah that about does it this week with our blind date diary here on kicking out at two thank you all so very much for tuning in hit that download button checking us out next week we're going to be bringing you um uh well i'm not sure yet to be quite honest with you um I have a couple things in mind on the schedule. First and foremost, next week we're going to be approaching the 20-year anniversary of WWF No Way Out from my hometown of Hartford, Connecticut. I was at this show. It was the very first pay-per-view I had ever wrestling pay-per-view I've ever attended. It was headlined by Triple H and Cactus Jack inside Hell in the Cell. Uh, the Dudley Boys winning their first WWF tag team titles. Kurt Angle becoming Intercontinental Champion. Uh, we would see the pay-per-view debut of the Radical. A um, lot of stuff going on in this show, uh, especially in the year 2000, going into WrestleMania. Um, the, I, I, this was this was a fun show. So I'm toying with the idea of maybe doing a watch along of that show. Um, or here's the other idea I have. Um, later on next week, as a matter of fact, uh, February the 29th, it's, um, it's a leap day and we're in the middle of a leap year here in 2020, which means February gets an extra day. And how does that involve retro pro wrestling? Well, it just so happens that 28 years ago on February the 29th, 1992, WCW presented Super Brawl 2. So I'm thinking of maybe possibly doing two watch alongs in one week next week next wednesday we would do the no way out watch along and then later that week on saturday the 29th i'm thinking of maybe dropping super brawl to watch along on leap day hours before aew's revolution pay-per-view just a thought. So either way, you're going to get one of those shows or you're going to get both of those shows next week here on Kicking Out of Two in watch-along form. So uh, that's just that's, that's just where I'm at right now. So either way, you're always going to get new content with me each and every week here on Kicking Out of Two. And with that being said, I think it's about that time that we put this blind date down for the three count. It was a good one. I enjoyed it. I'll go back for seconds. And I hope you will too. And I'll see you all next week.